This evening we are at chapter 20 of the book of Numbers. Look at chapter 27 in the book of Numbers. This is our last session in the life of Moses. Roughly 40 years of wilderness experience has gone by. This is more or less at the uh, closing moments, not only of Moses' life, but also of their period in the wilderness. But Numbers 20 is a very sad chapter. It is a very sad chapter. <laughs> it begins with a brief notice of the death of Miriam. Verse 1 says, there Miriam died and was buried. That's it. Okay, very brief notice. Okay, and then you have the death of Aaron at the end of chapter 20, where it says in verse 28, Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer, and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Okay, so it starts with Miriam, Moses' sister's death. It ends with Aaron, Moses' brother's death. And in the middle between the two, you have Moses and Aaron who make this major mistake, major error, major sin. When God said, speak to the rock, they strike the rock. And as a result, God says, because of your disobedience, both you guys, you are not going to enter into the promised land. Aaron immediately, or maybe within a few days, you know, he's called up to the mountain and he dies. And then later on, Moses also goes up and he dies. You know? So this is indeed definitely a sad chapter. Two deaths, which cost Moses his entry into the promised land. Let's look at the background then of this particular chapter. <laughs> As people have begun their journey to the promised land, they have nearly reached that place after 40 years of you know, wandering in the wilderness, Miriam dies. Okay, That's the first important thing that happens. Now, when you're thinking about the relationship between uh, Miriam and Moses, look back when we first started the study on Moses. We find that when Moses was placed in that basket and kept in that river, it was his sister Miriam who stood by, watched you know, and brought word and brought baby Moses back to the mother so that you know, he would be nurtured. So obviously there would have been a very strong bonding between Miriam, the elder sister, and Moses, the younger brother. And during his days in Egypt, things have been cut off. During his days in Midian, in our times, in our things have been cut off. And then after God calls him, to go lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Maybe all these people now are united. So the early years are still very strong in Moses' memory. And if you notice, even at the time when you know, Miriam also joins in a, a rebellion, as it were, and she is struck with leprosy, Moses is the one who pleads and God forgives. So attachment would have very much been there. So, the death of uh, Miriam could have affected Moses' judgment over here. When he is asked to speak, he begins to 
strike the rock twice. Now, sometimes grief can affect your obedience. Your emotions have gone somewhere else, so as a result, you're not able to think clearly. However, Moses could not use his grief as an excuse to obey God. Yes, we go through hardships in, in life, but no hardship can be used as an excuse to disobey God. And that's the important lesson, which is application number one. In times of great loss and even depression, do we turn to God as our refuge or we turn against him in anger? When things don't work out the way we expected it to work out, do you still continue to follow after God or do we get angry with God? It was no excuse for Moses to be angry and strike the rock twice. And because of that anger, he lost his entry into the promised land. Also, we find in verses 2 to 5, there is again a rebellion. There is again a rebellion. Verse 2 says, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and they quarreled with Moses and Aaron and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Okay. Now remember, this could very well be the next generation. 40 years in the wilderness and the Lord said none of that generation that left Egypt would enter the promised land. So this is more or less like a you know, next group that has been built up. But are they any different? Not at all. This, they continued what their forefathers did, continued to grumble, continued to complain in spite of God leading them all those 40 years. Imagine every day your food needs are met. Every day, God is looking after you during those 40 years, you know, wandering, didn't have to buy any footwear, didn't have to buy any clothes. Everything has been looked after. In spite of all that, still grumble, still grumble. Application two over here is, what could your grumbling today be teaching the next generation? In other words, it makes an impact. Your attitude today is going to determine not only your future, but also the future of the next generation. Think of it. So what if I complain? So what if I grumble? And this situation demanded that I grumble against God. No, be careful. It is not only your life that is at stake, but also your attitude will teach the next generation. We learn from the previous generations. We learn from our parents. We learn from our elders. So, you know, the leadership is giving wrong cues to the next generation. What will happen is the succeeding generation will continue to pick up. So, be careful. Don't rebel. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Think of the goodness of God. Think of the blessings that God continues to shower upon you instead of what he is not giving you. Look at what God is giving. In verse 6, it says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And then the Lord says, okay, speak to that rock and before they arise and it will uh, pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Look at the gracious provision of God. The gracious provision of God. These guys were complaining. 
but God appeared to Moses and Aaron and said, look here, I'm going to provide water for this community. I'm the one who's going to provide you know, water for their livestock. Okay. In Exodus 17, previous generation needed water and God told Moses to strike the rock. Here, God specifically tells Moses to speak to the rock. But whether it was in the speaking or the striking, the thought about God here is, in spite of their rebellion, God met their needs. Stop for a moment. How closely are you following after God? How closely are you obeying Him in everything that He's asking you to do? Look also at God's blessings and provisions in your life. Oftentimes you will see that in spite of your disobedience, in spite of your rebellion, He is still so gracious and merciful. And that should cause us to say, Lord, I'm sorry, help me to walk in close walk with you. Makes this drastic error, drastic error. Okay, His disobedience is mentioned in verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Okay, Verse 9 says, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Isn't that a tone of anger? He says, you guys are rebellious guys. You, know, you are expecting me to bring out all what you need all the time. You are constantly asking me to do this and to do that. You know, How dare you guys do all that to me? You know, he is very upset. Those words will definitely signify that. That's why in verse 11 it says, Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock, not once, but twice with his staff and water gushed out. Here again, God is so gracious. God told him, speak. He struck it twice. But God did God say, look here, because he has struck it twice and I in disobedience, I would not give water. No, no. He is still gracious. He is still gracious. The Bible tells us that the Lord sends rain both on the just and the unjust. So when you think about the blessings of God, don't think that you are special so God is blessing you. No, that's his goodness to you, which should cause you to turn in repentance to him. But instead of speaking to the rock, as God said, Moses struck the rock. This was his act of disobedience. And this is a sad thing, isn't it? If you're watching in a, an Olympics or a race event, an athletic event, in a, maybe a marathon, you know, and you find you know, the, the main uh, athlete, main runner, in the first couple of laps, he's been doing very, very well, and you're expecting him to win that race. And suddenly, maybe in the last final lap, he trips, he falls down, and the rest of the people, rest of the runners overtake him. You will say, such a sad thing. He was so close to getting the first place, but he lost out. So many years to win this gold, but he lost out. I'm sure you would have seen situations like that. Individuals have trained and trained and trained, and somewhere in the last moments, you know, they make a mistake. Or you look at a cricket match, you know, you find the last ball, you know, it could be hit as a six, or it could get out. And it's oh, last ball, he made a mistake. You know, he was so close, but he messed things up. You know. 
Now, this is where it is not the starting of the game that is important, but it's the ending. This is where also it's not how you start the life that is important, but how you end the life that is important. It is not how you have started your Christian walk. Maybe if I ask you this evening, have you made a commitment to follow Christ? Now, you may look back into your life and say, on this place, in this way, I said yes to God. Good, you started the Christian race. But the important thing is, how are you doing now and how are you going to end it? Let me share with you some examples from the Old Testament of individuals who started well, but as years went by, they messed up. David, for example, he wrote many beautiful psalms, but it was probably in his, when he was in his 50s that he committed adultery with Bathsheba and arranged to have a husband, Uriah, killed in battle. King Asa began by doing good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. That's what the Bible says. He made many godly reforms in Israel, but in the 36th year of his reign, rather than relying on the Lord, trusting in him, he took off all the silver and gold from the temple and paid that as an amount to a foreign king to fight against his enemies. And when a godly prophet confronted him, rather than repenting, he became very angry and put the prophet into prison. There are plenty of examples like this, especially in the Old Testament. Individuals who started well, very promising, but as years went by, they messed up. And definitely, in history itself, you can definitely know of so many individuals who started out their Christian life very well, very promising, but as years go, went by, sin crept in, pride crept in, money crept in, and maybe wrong doctrines also came in. And after some time, some of them have even abandoned their faith. In recent times, we hear of a lot of individuals who are top leaders, as it were, who say, I don't believe in Christianity anymore. They have walked out of the Christian life. Sad ending, sad ending. What was the verdict that God gave Moses and Aaron? The Lord very specifically said, because you have disobeyed, because you have disobeyed, you know, this is what I am going to do. Okay? He says, you, know, you will not enter the land. Verse uh, 24 says, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Yes, the people are going to enter the promised land, but you are not going to enter. Remember, full actions have a consequences. That's the application. Sinful actions have consequences. And we must realize that sin is no small matter to God. You may look at this passage and say, hey, big deal. After all, God answered the prayer. Why was God so angry with Moses that he said, you are not going to enter the promised land? You know? Sin is very important to God. We cannot say this is a sin, a small sin, it is okay. No, no. All sin have consequences. This is why we must treat sin very, very carefully. Don't play with sin. Don't think after all, you know, God is such a loving God, he will you know, forgive, he will work, you know, and overlook it. No, no, no. If God had led the children of Israel through all those tough things, if God told Moses, because of this action, I'm not going to allow you to enter into the promised land, where are we 
in that in, a, in that uh, comparison don't play with sin don't think that you can get away with it don't think that god will overlook sin no every sin has a consequence you know has a consequence and the sooner we realize this the sooner we will stay far away from it the punishment that was given to moses you know god tells moses it's time to die that's what we read in chapter 27 of uh, you know the book of numbers he tells him hey, uh, it's time to die in verse 14 he calls him up to mount nebo <laughs> okay now moses at this time is around uh, 120 years of age 120 years of age god has been faithful to him you know the bible tells us that you know his eyes were not dim even at 120 years of age he was still strong imagine a 120 year old man walking up mount nebo okay mount nebo if you notice is a <coughs> very frightful rocky hill okay it's a frightful rocky hill it's a steep rocky mountain okay for a person to climb up this mountain means that he was still in the prime of his health nothing was wrong with him it is not to say now you are getting too old so now you better die no no the dying is coming because as a punishment to moses for his disobedience so god took moses to see the land of promise from this place okay he says you are not going to enter but i am gracious to you i will help you to have a look he couldn't have seen it at a land level so the lord says okay climb up this mountain i will give you the strength 120 years of age to climb this mountain and from here you can see the land of promise where all the children of israel whom you have led through the wilderness for all these years all these millions whom you brought out of egypt this is the land that i promised and i'm going to keep my promise okay so god shows moses that he is a god who keeps his covenant god shows moses that he is a god who keeps his promise okay now secondly also if you notice god also tells moses you know that death is not going to be the end he says you're going to join in with aaron you're going to join in with uh, miriam chapter 20 we found that both of them died now god is telling him okay i'm showing you this place and i'm also going to show you that once you die you're going to be gathered together with your family okay so that is a hope that god gives moses moses is not, god is not telling moses look here you have been disobedient so i'm going to kill you and that's the end no no god is gracious he shows him the land of promise number one to say that he is a promise keeping god he is going to keep his word he also gives him the assurance that death is not the final thing but he is going to be united with his loved ones and uh, uh, miriam and aaron who have just died earlier and the best of all the best of all god definitely has taken him into paradise okay the promised land if you notice in that uh, no, mount of transfiguration in matthew's gospel chapter 17 we find when jesus was transfigured when the cloud came and covered him okay moses and elijah join together and have a conversation 
that gives the assurance that Moses has gone on into eternity or into the promised land. Okay, not the promised land that you know, was going to be seen by the Israelites. God has given Moses the entrance into the spiritual promised land. So when it when it say a person has you know, died, you know, it is not the end. It is just the beginning. It's a beginning of God keeping his promise. When God says, I have gone before, you know, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe in also in me. I've gone before to prepare a place for you. And this place has many rooms where you will be dwelling together. And I'm going to come back again to take you to be with me and with the loved ones together. And that's the assurance that God gives to each one of us. So, when you think about the death of Moses, do not think of it negatively. Think of it positively in terms of God shows Moses that he's a God of promise. Even after his death, you know, he is still going to keep his promise. He asks him to you know, pick up a successor and Joshua is selected. God shows him that he's going to continue to work. It is not the end, okay? That death is not going to be the end. And more important than that is, it's going to be life, genuine life. Not a physical promised land, but the spiritual promised land that God has promised to everyone who believes in him. So it's important. Now, not the beginning, but the ending. And we do not know when our end will come. So it's important to be ready at all times. So let me conclude our study, even this evening and through the life of Moses, looking at some practical lessons for finishing well, finishing well. Five essentials we can learn from this passage this evening. Number one, to finish well, go from your critic's presence into the Lord's presence. In Numbers 20, when these guys came again and grumbled, came again and grumbled, what did the Aaron and Moses do? Numbers chapter 20 and verse 6, it tells us, okay, they came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, fell on their faces, and the glory of God appeared to them. So they went from a place which was, you know, uh, people who are arguing, people who are grumbling, people who are angry, people who are accusing them. And they moved from there into the presence of God. And that is what finishing well is all about, isn't it? Do not allow whatever people have told you. You know, you are like this, you are like that. They have criticized you. They have been angry with you. They have accused you of a whole lot of things which you have not done. Do not allow that to get into you and make your life miserable. Come into God's presence and allow the healing virtue to flow. And the Lord will deal with it so that we can end our lives not in bitterness, but in betterness, looking forward for what God has in store for us. Secondly, to finish well, deal with your besetting sin. Deal with your besetting sin. What was Moses' besetting sin? Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, you know, argues that Moses had a lifelong anger problem. Okay? which led him to this tragic failure. He points out that Moses was angry 
when he killed the Egyptian taskmaster, he was beating a fellow Israelite. Remember, we learned about that. Forty years later, when God called Moses to return to Egypt and demand that Pharaoh let Israel go, even though God had told uh, Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, when Pharaoh repeatedly refused to let Israel go, in Exodus 11 and verse 8 we read, Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. That was not necessary. God had already told him this is how you know, Pharaoh would react. But you know, Moses seems to have had an anger problem. Later on, when Moses you know, came down from Mount Sinai and saw the people worshipping the golden calf, what did, he do in, what did he do in anger? He broke those ten commandments on which the Lord had written those commandments. You know? Now, you may say, after all, all that was a righteous anger, okay, you know, but look at now, 40 years later, you know, right when the end of his life, when God tells him, speak, that's easy, isn't it? Just speak to the rock, you know, and the water will come. Instead of that, there's so much of, you know, unreconciled anger, unresolved anger in his life, maybe, which led him to strike the rock. In other words, if there is any small, uncontrolled, unconfessed, in a, in a unovercome in a sin which is constantly troubling you, and it's, it's only okay, it's okay, it's okay. Sometimes people say, you know, after all, everybody gets angry. Or they may say, after all, everybody tells a lie. After all, everybody does this, everybody does that. It is okay. Now, if you don't deal with that, you know, what happens is, as you grow older and older, you know, that sin becomes much more stronger and stronger. Remember, it's easy to pull out a weed, to pull out a plant, you know, but once it has taken roots, to pull it out is going to be much more difficult, much more difficult. So check out, what is your besetting sin? Maybe your besetting sin is not anger. Maybe it's something else that is constantly tripping you down. Correct it right now so that you don't, you know, end up finishing you know, disastrously. Thirdly, to finish well, develop the habit of obedience in what may seem to be relatively small things. What may seem to be relatively small things. Now, God said, speak. Simple, so simple, isn't it? All that he had to do is just obey in that. You know? But he took it to some other level. There are a lot of small things that God tells us to obey. It could be as simple as obey our parents. It could be as simple as if you want to walk with God, you need to live a life of studying God's word, praying to him, fellowshipping. These are all simple acts of obedience. Nothing complicated about it to say you must read the Bible or pray to God or you know, come and fellowship together. Nothing complicated on that. But if you are not observing these little things, what will happen is it becomes huge mountains on which you will definitely trip over and fall. <clears throat> to finish well, be careful to give God the glory for everything he uses you to accomplish. In other words, as you go through life, the Lord gives you victories. The Lord gives you success. The Lord gives you promotion. Let it never get into your head that it is because of your blood, sweat and tears that you have come to this position you are in. Remember in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10, what does Moses say? Listen, now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? 
The implication of that question was that Moses and Aaron were able to bring water from the rock. What they were saying is, okay, 40 years we have done all this, we can also do this. You know, is this what you really want? Okay, you know. In other words, they were claiming to have that power instead of giving God the glory. Instead of saying, God is the one who has asked us to do this. You know, and you know, he is the one who is going to enable, enable us to do this. They took it upon themselves. You know, even though God told them, you know, you go before the people and this is what you have to say. Instead of obeying, they thought they could handle it themselves. Sometimes when you grow in your walk with God because of past victories, when you face a particular situation, there's a lot of complacency. There could be a lot of pride to say, oh, I have handled it in the past. I can also handle it now. Now be careful. Be careful to give God the glory for everything he uses you to accomplish. And finally, the fifth one, to finish well, believe God and treat him holy and treat him holy. What is the Lord's perspective on this whole incident of disobedience? Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12 gives us this. He says, the Lord says, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them, because you have not believed me. Okay. What did it mean? It meant, okay, last time God said, you know, strike, you know, now God is saying, speak. Now, which is one? What is God saying? Is God, can I believe God when he's saying, you know, speak, should obey him in the speaking? Or should I look back on what he said earlier to strike, you know? It's a disbelief in what God has just told him. And then it says to treat me as holy. Disobedience primarily says, what I am doing, I know is right. What you are telling me is not the right thing. Now, if we have to finish well, we have to believe in what God is saying. We have to believe what God has mentioned in his word is the truth. If he says, I am going to come back again, that is the truth. If he says, I am going to take back with me those who belong to me and they only, that is the truth. If he says there is a heaven, that is the truth. If he says there is a hell for those who don't believe in him, that's the truth. Okay? We need to believe what God has said. And if he says, you need to live a holy life, that is the truth. And instead of disobeying, we must be individuals who are willing to live a life that pleases him. F.B. Mayer points out that maybe Moses had more trust in his rod. The rod has helped him so far, you know, done many, many miraculous things. And now in the Lord, he takes the rod from the Lord's presence, you know. He says, okay, this rod, I have done this earlier. I can also do it now. My past experience is going to help me. The method that I used earlier, that worked, you know. So if striking worked, I'm going to strike now. No, no. Don't depend on your past methods. Don't depend on your past results. Don't depend on what you have done in the past. If God tells you something now, be willing to obey. Be willing to obey. Moses implied that it was not the Lord who will bring water from the rock, but it will be he. And as a result, it brought God lower. It did not treat God as holy. Let me close with this illustration of George Mueller, an individual, a man of faith who trusted in God, 
you must definitely read his biography. Okay. Mullah was a man who prayed earnestly that he might live a life and do a work which should be convincing proof that God hears prayers and it is safe to trust him at all times. And for over 60 years, without making any needs known to supporters, he trusted God through prayer alone to provide for thousands of orphans. If you read his biography, you'll have so many incidents where they sat at the table, there was nothing there. They thanked God for the food that was before them. And there was a knock on the door and there was food that was available. Implicit trust to say, God, you have given me this responsibility of looking after these orphans. I believe you are also going to take care of me. At George Miller's funeral service, a man related how a friend had said to Miller, when God calls you home, it will be like a ship going into harbor full sail. George Miller replied, oh no, it is poor George Miller who needs daily to pray, hold thou me up in my goings that my footsteps slip not. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not a big guy. I'm not a confident guy. My prayer is constantly trusting in God that even as I grow older, I would never go away from the Lord. So it's a constant, perpetual warning for each of us to pray that as we grow older, that we will not depart from the Lord. Finishing well in life depends on running well now. Now, you may think I have many years to live, but it depends on how you are doing now. Okay, Finishing well depends on running well now. To enter the race, starting point is you have to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Then each day, meet with him in his word and prayer. And as George Mueller said, the first business of every morning should be to secure happiness in God. Your time with him should be the most important time of the day. Then, when you encounter problems, this will help you to come into God's presence. If you have any sin that is tripping you, besetting sin, you know, deal with it so that it doesn't trip you up to make you fall. Develop the habit of obedience in what may seem to be relatively small things. Give God the glory for everything he uses you to accomplish for him. Trust in him at all times and treat him as holy. Then, when you finish the race here and when you meet him face to face, he will tell you, good and faithful servant, you have finished well. This evening for each of us is that this would be our heart cry. Lord. When I finish the race, when I see you face to face, I want to hear that well done. When we have done a good job, when somebody says, Shabash, you did a good job, well done. You're so happy, isn't it? You put your effort into it and you did well and somebody appreciated you. Think for a moment when the Lord himself will give you that well done. Isn't that something that you need to look forward to? Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the life of Moses. So many lessons you have taught us. And even this evening, when we, look about, when we learn about his death, is so very important. Father, you are such a good and gracious God. You are a God who keeps your promise. You are a God who has assured us of the promised land. 
You're a God who assures us of your strength each day to take us into that land that you have promised for us. But we pray, Lord, that you'd find us as individuals who treat you as holy, find us as individuals who obey you, so that when we finish the race that you have given to us, Lord, it would be with joy that we can meet you face to face, that we can hear from you. Your well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. To that end, we pray that each day you would prepare us for your coming, prepare us for meeting you, and to live forever in eternity with you. We thank you this evening. Help us, Lord, to make necessary changes in our lives as a result of the series that you have taught us through the life of Moses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.